Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. You're listening to the Circe Podcast Network. I'm Joshua Gibbs, and this is Proverbial, the podcast where we explore the wisdom of the ages as it comes to us in Proverbs, by which I mean wise sayings a man may live by if he's not so arrogant as to think himself special. Episode 29, A Retraction. Today's proverb comes from Solomon. I'll read it twice. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. Once more. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. The first thing I'll say is that this proverb does not end the way a lot of contemporary Christians think it will. When you begin reciting this proverb to someone, they're waiting for a very different ending. What most modern Christians are expecting is the race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned, but the will of God determines all. But this is a proverb of Solomon, and very few of Solomon's proverbs have a lot to do with God. Solomon was less a theologian than a philosopher, which meant his interest was in wisdom or nature. That's what Solomon was interested in. He was interested in nature. He was interested in what usually happens. I have in lectures before defined nature as what usually happens. It's perhaps not a very complicated or nuanced definition. And it 
this definition can certainly be exploited, but whether you're talking about human nature or mother nature, nature is what usually happens. What usually happens when you leave a cold glass of iced tea out in the sun? What usually becomes of men who drink before noon? In answering these questions, you learn something about nature. You learn something about the nature of hot and cold, liquids and gas. You learn something about the nature of sloth, spiritual unity. Nature's what usually happens. Now, as I've mentioned before in How to Be Unlucky and previously on this show, proverbs don't contain the word usually. And I would have to double check this, but I don't believe that the word usually occurs in scripture. I would be surprised to find a passage in Holy Scripture that contained the word usually or typically. And yet, Proverbs are concerned with what usually happens. But the word usually is omitted. And so a proverb states something as an absolute. And it's up to you to figure out when you've encountered the limits of a proverb or when the value of one proverbial claim is pushed to a limit that another proverb needs to take over for. So uh, you might have noticed before that proverbs are often at odds with one another. Their proverbs are suited to a situation. Proverbs are very rarely of any value when you only consider them in the abstract. I don't even know if there is a way to consider a proverb in the abstract. Because as soon as you hear it, you begin to apply it to a number of situations that are familiar to you, whether from your own experience or from great works of literature or what have you. But proverbs are often at odds with one another. Strike while the iron's hot is proverbial wisdom which is at odds with biding your time. There's wisdom in a multitude of counselors versus too many cooks spoil the broth. Um, These are not proverbs that make sense at the same time. The same situation, a single situation, cannot be accounted for by too many cooks spoil the broth and there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. You've got to decide which of those proverbs is apt to the situation. And so proverbs often contain hidden... um, They contain hidden qualifications. And so when you get a proverb like the one that we're dealing with today, you often have to read it and understand it with these hidden qualifications in place. So the race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, as I've suggested elsewhere, is probably best understood as the race is not always to the swift or the battle always to the strong, nor does food always come to the wise or wealth always come to the brilliant. It usually happens that way, but not always. I think that we have to understand that the race is usually to the swift. Otherwise, how would we know they're the swift? If the battle's not usually to the strong, how do we know they're the strong? How have the strong established themselves as the strong if not through winning many battles? How does the swift man become known as the swift if he hasn't won many races? And yet there's no guarantee 
The race is not always to the swift. Usually is. But there are other factors that intervene. And those factors cannot always be predicted. Time and chance happen to them all. Consider for a moment why this is a better conclusion than but the Lord's will governs all. Now, I would submit to you that to conclude this thought with but the Lord's will governs all actually distorts the truth that Solomon is aiming for by saying time and chance happen to them all. If this concluded with but the Lord's will governs all, the fool, or maybe even the wise man too, would be tempted to try to discern the Lord's will. But the point of the proverb is there's no surety in life. Life is 98% predictable. But there will always be aspects of life on earth that fail to conform to ideas, to theology. Because the world is an imprecise place, because the world is afflicted by sin, there's absolutely no, no way of accounting for every possibility. And a wise man will recognize that you cannot take into account all the variables. That no matter how hard you train, no matter how diligently you study, there's always something beyond your control. And it will strike you as incredibly unfair whenever this creeps in. But Solomon says, that's just the limit of proverbial wisdom. Proverbial wisdom can account for what usually happens. As a matter of fact, in Aristotle's rhetoric, Aristotle says that nature is what always happens or almost always happens. And he feels no need to make it simpler than that. Either always or almost always. There's a lot that hangs in that word almost. And what's simply odd about the human experience is that stories about that little word almost taking over are fascinating stories. You can tell a fascinating story about what always happens. There's a certain kind of delight in hearing a story that must go a certain way, and then it does. Some of the greatest stories ever told are stories that are, to a great extent, predictable. I'm almost done teaching Hamlet this year. And while Hamlet is one of the greatest works of literature in the last thousand years, it's not great because you don't know where it's going. There's a certain point in the play where you begin to understand, even before you see it the first time, yeah, everyone's going to die here. This story is headed straight for slaughter. And when it happens, it's both sad, but not, it's not surprising. There might even be a kind of open mouth shock when Claudius is stabbed. But it's not a surprise. You could see how it was going. And there's a lot of great stories that are predictable, but 
There's a lot of great stories that are unpredictable, too. There are so many stories out there about time and chance happening. And we love to hear them. Though the world is 98% predictable, probably half of the great stories in the world are about that other 2%. And when I say great stories, I don't mean the Iliad and the Odyssey. I mean the kind of stories that you love to hear. I mean the kind of stories that you love to tell. If you ever ask somebody to, to tell you a story and, and they say, what kind of story? And you say, tell me a story where I'm not going to expect the ending. The person telling the story will become excited to tell you whatever it is that comes to mind. Well, this one time. So many stories are about time and chance happening to them all. For instance, many years ago, more than 19 years ago, during a summer when I spent a lot of time at casinos, which I do not condone or recommend, I watched a friend over the course of six hours lose $700 that he could not afford to lose. And he lost it in $100 increments every hour, every half an hour. And things kept going wrong for him. And it wasn't money he had to lose. I watched him go back and forth from the ATM to a blackjack table half a dozen times. And he just kept losing. And it was money he was taking on overdraft protection. This was in my bachelor days, his bachelor days too. And we were, I mean, we were the kind of bachelors that were barely scraping by. And there was a kind of horror that I experienced in watching him lose all this money. And then, having begun the night at around 11, and played all through the night into the early morning when the casino was about 15 minutes away from closing down to lock up, count their money, make a deposit, and reopen a few hours later. My friend won back all $700 he had lost in about 10 minutes. It was the strangest thing one of the strangest things I've ever seen. He just kept winning. He kept raising his bets. He kept winning, raising his bets, splitting his bets, winning both. Wealth is not always to the brilliant. Sometimes wealth is to the reckless. Now, when you hear a story like that, and I'm sure you've also heard and told many stories, of improbable good luck. When you hear those stories, you really have to think through them in a very careful sort of way. And there's a humility of spirit that's necessary in processing those stories. Because when you hear those stories about time and chance happening to them all, and somebody snatching victory from the jaws of defeat, from the stomach of defeat, you can either walk away from them saying, yeah, that could happen to me too, 
Or you can walk away saying, that's not going to happen to me. That's a weird thing that happens to other people. But I'm not weird. I'm about as run-of-the-mill as they come. Now, it's hard to come away from those stories saying that sort of thing. And if, God forbid, you should ever be $700 into a six-hour night of blackjack, I hope you don't take more money out of the ATM because you heard a story on the proverbial podcast one time. Hopefully you don't get yourself into that position in the first place because you listened to the proverbial podcast. These stories, stories of time and chance happening to them all, are far more common than time and chance happening to them all. The stories always represent... The stories of time and chance happening to them all always represent time and chance happening to them all in a more, as being more common than it actually is. Because the fact of the matter is, is the race is normally to the swift. If it wasn't, how would you know they were the swift? Now, one of the things that you've got to take away from this proverb is that the world is an unpredictable place. And we reach this paradox here because the wager of a proverb, any proverb, is that the world is a predictable place. But here, in this proverb, Solomon is hedging his bets. I think the world is both predictable and unpredictable. I can't make it simpler than that. The world is, you know what's going to happen, but you never know. You know how this ends, but you don't. And it, it can't be reduced to something simpler than that. When I hear time and chance, I can't help thinking of Lady Fortune. Within the medieval mindset, Fortune was the predictably unpredictable power that kept everything on Earth in a state of flux and change. It was this same fortune that separated heaven from Earth. Heaven was the predictable place. Heaven was perfectly ordered, perfectly symmetrical. And Earth imitated heaven to an extent, but was incapable of perfectly mirroring heaven because of sin. It was this volatility and unpredictability that kept the righteous man's eyes trained on heaven. On the earth, things change. And it's not always possible to say how or why they change. Now that sounds like a terribly generic sort of claim on the earth. Things change. What are these things? It's generic. It's like when people refer to they. You know what they say. And for whatever reason, there's always somebody who's, who says, who is this they? As though you don't know. As though you're not going to be content that people generally think things unless you get names and addresses of all the people who have ever said it. Now, I'd like to say that it's taken me years to understand that things change. This is a, a hard lesson, actually. When I say things change, I mean things change and you can't necessarily say why. 
In the first year that I was a teacher, a classical teacher, I gave a class an unusual writing assignment. Together, we read an Umberto Eco essay called A Dream. And A Dream is a sort of fantastic piece by Eco, where he begins in the fantastic and says, I had a dream, but at some point in the future, there was a global blackout and that every nation on earth pointed fingers at every other nation. And nothing electronic worked anymore. And there was a terrible war and two-thirds of the Earth's population died. And man was left to pick up the pieces. There was no more internet, no more phones, no more factories. And from that point, he more or less describes this primitive life that people become accustomed to. And ultimately, they enjoy the primitive life better than they enjoy their technological lives. And by the end, he says, you know, some of the more romantic people living out this, you know, primitive nightmare actually described it as a kind of golden age. And he concludes by saying, what do we need to do to get to this golden age without having to go through the horrors of this terrible war? And then he provides a few thoughts on how men can live towards the beauty that came from the horror without having to go through the horror. So we read this essay as a class, and then I challenged students to write a similar story. And I said, what you need to do is you need to address some problem in the world, take a look at what will happen if this problem goes unchecked, Imagine it reaching a critical mass, everything going haywire. And then you need to imagine people picking up the pieces and everything becoming slowly but subtly and surely kind of grand in the aftermath. And then like Echo, I want you to describe some ways that we could live towards the beauty without having to go through the horror. So I sent all these students off to write these, these various essays. And when I got them back, there was this unusual moment that kept occurring in their essays. And it was always in their description of people in the recovery process after the problem reached a fever pitch. And having described what the problem looks like, all of my students got to this point where, where they basically said, but then things got better. And when I handed these back, I gave this long lecture where I described reading all of their, reading all of their essays and getting to this moment where things get better. And I told them, things don't get better. There's no such thing as things. Lives get better. This guy's life gets better. Economies get better. Gardens get better. They get better when people work on them. Gardens don't magically get better. Men don't magically get stronger. Things don't get better. And I said this, and 
I think in retrospect that I was reasoning a bit like a, a rather strict materialist. Because what Solomon suggests in this proverb is that there's no way to account for everything that happens. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction, usually. But God works in odd ways. Time and chance work in odd ways. And there is such a thing as things. And there is such a thing as they. And though you cannot account for what these things are exactly, or who precisely they are, there is nonetheless, there are nonetheless, these powers at work in the world that defy cause and effect. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong. And there's part of a rational man that hears that and says, yes, they are. They must be. Well, not always. You can't account for these changes in things. I saw the other day, I don't know what it's called. It's the big cloud of sparrows that kind of ducks and weaves and undulates and shimmers all as one. And you cannot hear them calling out to one another. It's like they all just know. All right, now we rise, now we fall, now we shift, now we shimmy. And I mean, unless they're communicating telepathically, it's just this mystery to watch them. I mean, you see schools of fish do the same sort of thing. I was reminded of this while watching the whole pandemic unfold. It's rather fascinating how everyone kind of suddenly became bored with the quarantine at the same time. <laughs> Read some news stories on this. Like people sick of quarantine. Cell phone tracking data reveals everyone's leaving their house now. It's like there was this invisible standard of boredness that we all reach. Like this threshold of boredness that everyone reached. Whether you're Democrat, Republican, Catholic, atheist, there's just some human threshold for boredom that pop everyone hit at about the same time. In the same way that those birds duck and weave and shimmy, so do people. I went to Target a couple weeks ago looking for a puzzle. Everybody and their dogs looking for one. There were no puzzles. No puzzles at the store. Everyone suddenly decided puzzles were a good idea. I've read plenty of articles about this. Puzzle sales increase. Everyone decided to start baking bread during the quarantine. No one told us to. There was some kind of logic hidden in, some kind of ineffable logic written into modern life that was 
triggered when the quarantine started. And 50 million people all said to themselves, oh, better start baking bread. Now's the time. And doing puzzles. And like those clouds of birds, everyone ducked in the same direction. When we see this, I mean, to say that time and chance happened to them all is like saying there are things that are beyond nature, unaccountable, unpredictable, unusual. And yet, at the same time, the fact that so many Americans reached the threshold of boredom and decided to begin baking bread and decided they wanted to solve puzzles at the same time actually, I think, confirms something about human nature as opposed to defying the concept of human nature. And that's that there are plenty of things hidden deep within human nature that can be activated, so to speak, through a bizarre set of circumstances that almost never materialize. And so if you have a problem saying time and chance happen to them all, if you are one of those Christians who um, is horribly offended at the concept of luck, though Solomon is not, it might simply be that whenever we encounter the horizon or the, the boundaries and limitations of our knowledge of human nature, maybe we're still dealing in the realm of the ineffable. But there are just so many things about human nature that we don't know yet that the only way to think of them is the work of Lady Fortune. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.